Well, good afternoon and welcome to A Reason for Hope. My name is Adrian and I am your co-host today with in studio with uh, Senior Pastor Scott Richards. How's it going? So glad you could join us today. This is a live uh, streamed Bible Answer program. We do this every uh, Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. And uh, there are multiple ways that you can chime in. You can ask questions about uh, the Bible, about uh, the Christian worldview. Does God exist? Um, how do we understand the scriptures? How do we apply them to our lives? Is the Bible relevant for today? Can we trust that it's been preserved throughout time? Is what the original authors wrote what we have today? Questions like that and many, many more that we cover <clears throat> all throughout the many years that we've been doing this program. So we really encourage you to chime in with us online. We have multiple platforms that we stream to every day. First of all, of course, Facebook, we live stream. And that's how we basically get a chance to engage with you. <clears throat> we take questions from our chat sections uh, throughout the program. So if you have a question, go to Facebook, then at CCF Tucson, and uh, join the stream and uh, leave a question. We'd be happy to, to try to tackle your questions as best we can, Lord willing and by His grace. <clears throat> and of course, we also live stream simultaneously to YouTube. And if you do happen to follow us on some of these social media platforms, we'd re really appreciate it if you would uh, hit that subscribe button and the notification bell. If you want to follow the program and ask questions in the comment section on our YouTube channel, our YouTube channel is uh, at A Reason for Hope 546. <clears throat> also encourage you to follow our senior pastor, Scott Richards, on his uh, Twitter account. Uh, he leaves a lot of interesting commentary on what's going on in the world, as well as Bible prophecy updates. And of course, you can always leave a question there, uh, tweet that is, tweet a question to Pastor Scott, and we will tackle it here on the program. His Twitter handle is at Scott R, the number four, and the letter H. Finally, if you uh, prefer to just kind of do it the old-fashioned way, uh, you can go to our website and just go to the Watch Live tab, <clears throat> and we live stream right to our website, and you can actually leave questions there as well. So if you kind of don't like using social media platforms and just want to go to our website, you can do that as well. And keep in mind that we have a Bible application, a Bible app, in the iTunes and Google Play Store, where you can keep up with our services, listen to past programs, past services, past uh, A Reason for Hope broadcast. We have a RSS feed there where you can listen to uh, past uh, presentations of this program. And of course, we also have a Roku channel and a channel on our uh, the Amazon Fire product. So if you just want to watch all our live presentations, whether it be a church service or a special event or this program, you can do that there. Um, just go to the uh, channel or store and look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, and you'll find it there. And if you prefer to be a little bit more anonymous, maybe you have something a little sensitive, you don't want to publish publicly a question, you can just email us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, no numbers, at gmail.com. Well, with that said, we would love to tackle your questions for today. So before we do that, let's take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to be with us, and then we'll uh, get started. Yeah. Father, I thank you that we have this opportunity to be able not only uh, to interact with each other, but Lord, especially to hear from you. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you that every scripture you say is God-breathed. It is just as much your word as we were standing mm -hmm. in your presence, listening to you speak, and even hearing and feeling uh, the, the sound of the air coming from your mouth as you parse out the words. We thank you for that. 
And Lord, we want to uh, receive not our takes, uh, but what your word has to say about even the uh, the most challenging issues in life. I thank you, Lord, for each and every person that makes it uh, a point to be a part of our uh, family here at uh, A Reason for Hope. And we pray, Lord, that uh, as we explore your word together, that we would end up being closer to you, uh, having a greater sense of your love, your commitment to us, a greater understanding of how you look at even the most complex issues in life, mm. and and even, Lord, a greater sense of looking up because our draw, our salvation draws near than when we started. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, some really interesting things going on in the news. Just a, a couple of things I, I wanted to go over before we uh, jump on in. Uh, to our questions, uh, Adrian, and, and by all means, uh, get your questions to us as quickly as you can. We'd love to be able, as they say, to scratch it where you itch, uh, to be able to answer the questions on your heart and mind. But uh, as you know, it's uh, part and parcel of our mission here to keep you up to date on uh, world events, especially from a prophetic point of view. And uh, a couple world events uh, that are certainly uh, uh, gaining an awful lot of uh, attention these days uh, was uh, over the weekend, uh, as uh, you may have heard, uh, the Silicon Valley Bank, uh, which, by the way, uh, less than a year ago was named uh, by Forbes magazine as one of the most solid, innovative and uh, to be admired financial institutions uh, as far as their evaluations are concerned, absolutely collapsed uh, a uh, I wouldn't say a uh, particularly conservative uh, take on this was published uh, on the CNBC news site with this headline, Silicon Valley's greed and avarice have finally come home to roost in the SVB collapse, Trader says. Uh, the Silicon Valley Bank, uh, the 16th biggest bank in the United States at the start of last week, this is not a minor institution, has been operational for 40 years when considered a reliable source of funding for tech startups and venture capital firms. That's what they specialized in. Uh, they were also sort of a, a celebrity magnet. Uh, one of the uh, things that was told is uh, that uh, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle had uh, mm. virtually all of Prince Harry's assets, well over $100 million, in the Silicon Valley Bank. Uh, its collapse uh, indicates that... Uh, Quite a few of people who had their uh, finances in there might be left holding the bag, although, uh, interestingly, our government uh, beat feet uh, to be able to come in and try to shore up and reassure people that uh, the people that uh, were worried about losing money would be made whole. Uh, their financial group's holdings were hit hard, we were told, uh, by the Fed's aggressive interest rate hikes. And their value dropped dramatically, causing depositors to panic and withdraw their funds. Uh, in other words, they bought into uh, an awful lot of uh, some of these treasury bills, if you will, with the idea that they were going to be going up uh, the, uh, the, the moves by the Fed uh, to try to uh, lower the level of inflation, cause the value of these securities to go down instead of up. And so they were betting kind of long-term on a very healthy economy with a turnaround in inflation, like, uh, say, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Yellen uh, was saying was in the offing. When the opposite happened, well, uh, suddenly they're left holding the bag and they didn't have the reserves legally and necessary to be able to back up uh, their standing as a bank. So the collapse is, uh, according to CNBC, is more the product of a faulty system than the bank itself. 
in other words, uh, there were uh, things that were kind of built into the relationship between banks and the Federal Reserve and the federal government that would move people in this direction. If you remember in 2008, the subprime uh, financial crisis, so where, you know, again, Lehman Brothers and a number of firms just went absolutely belly up uh, because they bought into uh, these subprime mortgages. In other words, the federal government uh, encouraged banks to make loans to people who couldn't qualify uh, financially uh, for mortgages because uh, the, with good intentions, they wanted to get lower income people into the idea of owning a house. Well, with this encouragement, uh, you know, again, uh, mortgage bankers went crazy and were basically offering loans to everybody and their cat. And great to have a loan, great to be able to move into a house because you have a loan, but if you don't qualify and you can't pay the bill on the loan, well, that loan ends up going back to the government. It, it, it is foreclosed, if you will, it goes back to the bank. Well, this happened on a massive scale, and uh, because banks had taken these uh, subprime loans and had bundled them together in a saleable security out there. The saleable securities that were based on these subprime loans ended up going belly up. And there was a movie called The Big Short with Christian Bale. Uh, if you want to understand exactly what was involved with all of that, it's a great, great mm. movie because it talks about one guy <clears throat> who did the analysis on this and saw it all coming and made a huge killing financially because he bet on banks and uh, brokerage yeah. firms like Lehman Brothers against them. <laughs> uh, going, going belly up. Uh, we're kind of in a similar situation here. Uh, and uh, it wasn't just uh, Silicon Valley Bank that went belly up. A number of other banks have indicated that they're in similar dire financial straits. Uh, the federal government is trying to intervene and uh, prop up Silicon Valley Bank and these other banks in order to avoid uh, what is called a run on the banks. Uh, you might recall uh, in history class where they talked about the Great Depression and when it became clear that banks did not have enough resources to be able to, uh, say, pay people their money if they wanted to withdraw it, suddenly you had huge lines, you had runs on banks, you had panic, and it certainly contributed to the Great Depression. Well, we may be in a very similar set of circumstances here. And, you know, we said, well, okay, why are we talking about this in a Bible question and answer program? Well, you know, there's an old saying in financial circles, whatever can't go on forever won't. Uh, when we take a look at the fact that uh, the federal deficit is in the trillions of dollars now, and, and I mean, we're just kind of used to hearing that, so it sort of, you know, rolls over our back like water off a duck, but trillions and trillions of dollars, which will never be paid back. Uh, when, when we see this kicking the can uh, down uh, the, the, the road for a future generation to somehow take care of all this over-the-top spending and so on, uh, we see that our current financial situation as it exists in this world today is not going to continue on forever, which raises the big question, what is going to take its place? Mm. Well, we've seen hints and allegations and so on, incidents and accidents, as Paul Simon once said, uh, that, uh, that there are these uh, uh, groups like the World Economic Foundation that are pushing towards a one-world economic system. We've heard about the idea of converting away from the dollar uh, 
as the basis of international commerce to uh, even in the United States itself, e-dollars, somewhat halfway between what we call Bitcoin now. Uh, people saying, oh, I've invented this currency. And guess what? If we all agree it's worth, you know, say $100 when Bitcoin started, um, then it's worth $100. And boy, it just kept going up and up and up and, you know, got to the point where, you know, one Bitcoin uh, was worth over $100,000 uh, after all of this. Well, that couldn't go on forever. And it's obviously shrunk. And some people who got in late end up holding the bag. The people got in early are fine, like almost every other Ponzi scheme you can mm-hmm. ever imagine. So we see these things happening. And we see this shift away from hard currency. Now, this happened initially in the Nixon administration when Richard Nixon, a Republican, took the United States economy off the gold standard. In other words, backing the United States Mm -hmm. dollar by, you know, hard, valuable materials like gold or silver, took us off the gold standard and allowed the currency to somewhat float. In other words, uh, the dollar's worth what we all agree it's worth, not based on the price of gold or anything that is solid or secure. Well, ever since that has happened, we've lived with this fiction that these dollar bills that we trade with are actually worth something. Uh, And uh, when people start to get the idea that these things are not worth something anymore, that this has all been a fiction, uh, you know, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle having all this money in SVB Bank, uh, suddenly uh, $100 million uh, that Prince Harry had in this bank, uh, if the uh, United States government doesn't step in, he's out. Hmm. He has wow. zero as a result of this because he put all of his eggs in that basket. When these sort of things happen, people start going, we need to rethink this whole system uh, because it, it cannot keep continue to go on in the way that it is. Well, prophetically, we know that one of the things the Antichrist is going to do is to bring in a one-world economic system. There's two uh, sections of the book of Revelation in specific that talk about the economic uh, system that is going to dominate the world in that day and age. One of them is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 18, where it talks about Babylon the Great, uh, how this one-world economic dominating system uh, ends up being destroyed in one night, uh, and uh, that all the merchants of the earth are just beside themselves when they see this, this economic system collapse. In other words, there's going to be not just a world-dominating religious system called Mystery Babylon. There's also going to be Babylon the Great. In other words, there's going to be that return to the Tower of Babel. We're all going to get under the same umbrella. We're all going to be trading in the same way. But when the thing collapses, everybody is left holding the bag. The other scripture that is really significant is Revelation chapter 13, which speaks about the rise of the Antichrist. He comes on the scene. He's called the beast out of the sea. He comes out onto the world scene as an identified as the Antichrist when he receives a mortal head wound, which is miraculously healed. And the world says, who's like the beast and who can make war with him? Well, this is the the political 800-pound gorilla, the Antichrist, but he has a protege called the false prophet. And the false prophet, interestingly, is described as one that looks like a a lamb, has two horns, but speaks like a dragon. Uh, This false prophet will try to present himself as being like the truth of God, but very powerful. The the horns represent the power there. But speaking like a dragon, 
Satan's mouthpiece. And he's going to compel everyone in the world to worship an image of the beast that is brought to life. Uh, the, the, the Antichrist the, and the false prophet are going to be able to breathe life into this image. Now, there's some who say, is this a form of artificial intelligence? Is this a so-called singularity? Or if you've ever watched uh, the, uh, the uh, uh, films uh, about Terminator, is this uh, when this computer system becomes self-aware? Um, there's lots of, of speculation about it, but it seems like it's the essence of it is spiritual. Uh, the Antichrist gives this image the ability to breathe and to speak and relate, and it causes all who will not worship the beast and this image to be killed, uh, to literally be beheaded as a result of all of this, uh, in order to join in this last day's world economic dominating system, one must worship the beast and then take the number of the beast on their right hand or on their forehead. Now, again, we've all heard about you know, the number being 666, and there's all these speculations about what that might mean. I don't think we're going to fully understand the meaning of it uh, till it actually comes online. Uh, it, it's like one of those things where God told Daniel, go your way. Uh, these things pertain to events yet in the future. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be revealed in this proper time. The wise are going to understand. Mm. Uh, and, and the wise, according to Scripture, are those who receive the love of the truth in order to be saved. They're going to get it. They're going to understand what's going on here. Now, a couple things about this. First of all, the Antichrist as such and his protege, the false prophet, cannot reveal himself uh, as being such until uh, the one who restrains is taken out of the way, as Second Thessalonians chapter mm. 2 speaks of it. Well, we believe that this restraining work of the Holy Spirit is represented in the uh, the fact that the church, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, is identified as being the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Uh, this restraining work is manifest in this way because light keeps darkness at bay, and salt was an important preservative during that time before refrigeration. It, it kept things from rotting out. So as long as the church is here, in the ministry of the Holy Spirit we have in the church of being salt and light, the Antichrist is held at bay. He cannot reveal himself as such. You can read through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for specifics along that line. But when the one who restrains is taken out of the way, we believe that's the event called the rapture, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. And right now, I believe what we are seeing here is the lack of confidence, not just in the financial system, but virtually in every pillar of society we've got going on right now, the seemingly systematic undermining for instance uh, the lack of confidence we have in our electoral system do our votes mm. even really matter mm. uh, anymore uh, the lack of confidence uh, in uh, you know uh, the, the public school system and what is being taught to our kids can we trust our kids <clears throat> with these people uh, and what they're teaching in the public schools it used to just be implicit well of course you know the best you know most uh, objective most uh, most hands-off people, uh, would be these teachers, they're professionals, they wouldn't be pushing some kind of political agenda. Well, we see that's not true anymore. You know, and the list kind of goes on and on and on, almost, you know, the, the military, you know, uh, the the things that we, we read where the, the main focus of the military is making sure that uh, people are using their proper pronouns instead of preparing for war. You know, we see these stories, and underneath it all is this undermining, this constant undermining of the previous convictions we had about society, including 
economics. So I think this SVB crisis, mm -hmm. the Silicon Valley Bank crisis, and how it's handled is going to be another step in that direction. Another step saying, boy, we need something else. We need someone to come in and straighten all this out. Well, Arnold Toynbee, the famous British historian, this was back in the late 50s, uh, he made this observation. He said, the world is ripe for the deifying of any new Caesar who will come into this world and provide prosperity and peace. Well, that was in 1958, um, same year that I think uh, Dwight Eisenhower started warning people about the military-industrial complex and not letting these sort of things, unelected officials, start uh, taking over like this. Well, we've had a few years to see this kind of creeping undermining of uh, what we used to uh, take for granted as far as things we would have confidence in our society. So we take a look at the SVB crisis going on here. I think we see another example of that. We see more and more examples, even in religious circles. You know, it just seems like high profile religious figures are falling left and right and financial scandals and sexual scandals and all this other stuff. All of these institutions in the society are seemingly being systematically undermined. Even the idea of uh, the security of borders and things like that between nations, uh, systematically being undermined. Why? Because I think there is, and you know, if you read their own statements, uh, a desire to scrub all this off and bring in a brand new man-created utopia. Mm. And uh, they've tried, and they've tried with mixed results, success and failure and so on. Uh, but uh, I do believe that what we are seeing is another step in the direction of, uh, for lack of a better term, greasing the skids, uh, getting things prepared for the events of the last days. You know, we, we talk quite a bit about the last day's invasion of Israel uh, prophesied in the book of Ezekiel. Well, you know, it's fascinating uh, that uh, not only it does Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk about this last day's Russian-led invasion, of Israel. But another interesting detail in Revelation 16 is that the river Euphrates is going to be dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. In other words, one of the real power players in the tribulation period is going to be a huge army that comes literally out of the rising of the sun. That's the language, the, the original language. Mm. Uh, and when we take a look at the, the China Silk Road project, uh, we saw today and this shocked me because I, I was not even aware that this was in the cards. Uh, the head of uh, uh, the, the head diplomat of the Saudi Arabian kingdom and the Iranian uh, mad mullahs met together in Beijing and uh, reinstituted political and uh, even military security ties between wow. these two entities. Now, this caught everybody blindsided, and, and most people believe that uh, although this does affect Israel and uh, their view of, uh, say, the Saudis and are they going to join the Abraham Accords or are they going to throw in with the Iranians because they're, they're not confident uh, that when push comes to shove, their own interests are going to be protected in that region. They said the big loser in that is the United States because China bringing these people to Beijing and making this big deal about this peace treaty is now saying we are the ones that are reshaping the alliances in the Middle East, these kings of the East, if you will. And uh, again, Iran and Saudi Arabia now being on, uh, on speaking terms. And uh, that's huge. If we had Sean here, he could talk about the uh, historical 
feud between Saudi and, or I should say, Sunni and Shia mm -hmm. Muslims, uh, how they hate each other more than they even hate the Jews. Well, for them to uh, kiss and make up, to play nice with each other, means that something big is going on. Mm. Uh, and uh, something big, especially in terms of the Saudis are concerned. You know, uh, our current administration take a pretty dim view of the Saudis, and with good reasons. They uh, have a horrible track record of human rights abuses. They basically play by this Islamic playbook, and, and uh, you know, again, uh, you know, the idea of uh, uh, beheading someone for the crime of homosexuality, uh, stoning uh, people caught in adultery to death, these sort of things, absolutely no religious freedom whatsoever in Saudi Arabia. You know, we look at that and we go, oh, you know, well, you know, we, we, it's, it's hard for us to cozy up to them because, you know, they just have this horrible track record, the, uh, the uh, murder of a Saudi Arabian journalist in Washington, D.C., uh, that was uh, really uh, very unsubtly uh, a, a Saudi-created uh, operation. Uh, some of the links between the Saudis and even the individuals who were part of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Uh, you know, our country's like, uh, we'd love to cozy up to you because you got all the oil. Uh, we don't know if you can't. It's like two porcupines on a cold night <laughs> trying to get warm with each other, but the closer they get, the more they tend to stick each other. Well, Saudi Arabia looks at that and goes, well, why should we mess around with you guys at all? Here's a horrible dictator over here, uh, Chairman Xi. Uh, he is uh, not the least bit interested in human rights abuses. Shoot, he's the king of human rights abuses. Just ask the, we the Uyghur people mm -hmm. uh, who are in concentration camps and uh, being lined up for involuntary organ donations by the Chinese government. They go, well, they're worse than we are. Uh, let's cozy up to them. So again, since China is a powerful economic force, China is a nuclear power, China definitely does want to be the dominant force in this world. They see the United States and Europe, the West, as being decadent and on the decline. Uh, the Saudis are probably, well, doing the math and saying, well, we can get on the good side of the Chinese and have some kind of rapport with the Iranians so that if they do go nuclear, and as we've said, they are well above 84% enrichment of their uranium right now, one estimate says they could uh, have enough uh, enriched uranium for a functional nuke in under 12 days if they gave the go-ahead. Uh, so if you're the Saudis, you're looking at this and you're saying, well, you know, we got to look out for ourselves. Uh, you know, very interesting developments going on here. And, and another uh, line along this line, and then we'll, we'll get to the questions, uh, is this. You know, people have asked the question, Where's the United States in biblical prophecy? After all, you know, we're the straw that cheers the drink. You know, we're the dominant power and all this. You know, I've always felt there are three possibilities as to why the United States, by uh, almost uh, a, a conspicuous nature, is not mentioned in biblical prophecy. The Bible's really good about mentioning other nations, according to tribal groups and, and so on. Uh, even China being uh, spoken of, these kings of the East and so on. Uh why aren't we mentioned? Well, one of three possibilities, I think. Number one is we will just continue to decline as an economic and military power. You can have the greatest military in the world, but you don't have the stomach to use it. It doesn't do you any good. Mm. You know, the other actors in the world are going to step up and try to fill that that power void. And I think we see that with China. I don't I don't 
I think after the balloon incident that we talked about here, where they literally were allowed to have a spy balloon over our country for the better part of a week, and we did nothing about it until they actually got over the water of North Carolina, I believe it was, and then finally they shot it down. Well, the damage is done. Yeah, they crossed uh, the entire country. <laughs> you know, and, and they were hanging out over our nuclear sites and, and so on. Uh, you know, when you see this kind of testing going on uh, about, okay, is the United States really going to stand up and do something about all of this? Well, you know, I think they got their data back. And I think the world got the data back after they saw that weakness of the United States, especially with the balloon incident. So, you know, there's one possibility that we're just going to continue to go down this path of becoming weaker and weaker, not only militarily, but uh, financially, you know, these bank failures and so forth, but uh, especially spiritually. Um, you know, I, I am very encouraged uh, by, say, the response to the Jesus Revolution movie that has gone on. I am super encouraged as to what's going on here in this church. There is a hunger for people to be touched by the love of God, unlike any we've ever seen. We've even changed the format of our services to allow people to come up after the services and continue to worship and continue to be prayed for. And it's just a beautiful, overflowing move of God's spirit. And, you know, we're sending about grace did much more about. So I don't want people to be too bummed out uh, and saying, oh, you know, yeah, you know, all is bleak and dark. But we do need to understand the United States, I believe this has had its day. And if we continue in this direction without a massive Josiah-like turning to the Lord. Um, we're just going to go by the wayside, and somebody else is going to step up and fill that void. I believe the Antichrist could very well be that person who does following the rapture. Uh, the other possibility, and uh, Joel Rosenberg, in uh, some of his spy thriller novels, put forth the idea uh, that uh, the United States has taken out in some kind of limited uh, nuclear exchange. In his uh, book, it was with North Korea, well, we saw last week that North Korea, according to South Korea, now has a uh, functionally uh, uh, effective way of launching some of their nuclear weapons from a submarine, mm -hmm. which is a huge step forward in their nuclear technology. Now, again, it has to be verified, but uh, the South Koreans are absolutely convinced that that's the case. Joel talked about the idea of the South Koreans and the United States getting into a limited nuclear war. Uh, that being devastating the United States. And then as this limited nuclear war starts, uh, the rapture takes place and it sets the stage for the Antichrist to come in and, and impose his peace. Will that happen? You know, will the United States be taken out in some kind of a limited nuclear war? I pray that's not the case, but you never know. Um, you know, they, 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 we, we live in a, a pretty tough global neighborhood now with a lot of bullies on the street who are willing to slug it out with each other. So, you know, who knows? But the most important, and uh, the one that I tend to uh, believe uh, in most because I, I tend to be optimistic, is that of all the nations of the world that will be economically, militarily, financially, governmentally devastated after the rapture, probably the United States more than most. Um, according to the Barna Group, there's some 50-plus million professing evangelical Bible-believing Christians in this country with uh, what's been going on with the Jesus movement and, mm -hmm. you know, these, these different moves of God's spirit we've seen probably even more by now. Uh, you know, again, you know, people can say, well, I identify with that. How do you know they're legit? Let's just for argument's sake, say that Barna is half right. 
that 25% or 25 million mm -hmm. Americans are professing evangelical Bible-believing Christians. What's going to happen when the rapture happens and 25 million people are gone? Well, 3,000 people just under that left Earth at 9-11 uh, and our economy was devastated for the better part of four to five years. Mm -hmm. uh, what would happen if you had that many millions of people suddenly vanish? And the United States, I believe, would be affected more uh, than any other nation along that line. Mm -hmm. So uh, what are we seeing with all this? You know, the SVB bank failure, I think we're seeing, you know, an example of people losing confidence in the previously taken for granted pillars of, of society. I think you're seeing a push by those who feel like a one world socialist government uh, is the future. I think they're pushing it in that direction, using their influence to cause these sort of things to happen. Supporting politicians will move us in that particular direction and so on. Uh, I think we are seeing the alliances and the rise of powers that the Bible predicted would be alive and kicking during that final seven-year period of time, becoming more and more uh, obvious and on the world scene. And, uh, you know, the only thing that needs to happen, I think, uh, for all of these things to come together. And uh, remember, Israel is the straw that stirs the drink prophetically. Mm. Uh, all the things that are going to go on the tribulation period revolve around Israel and what happens there. The only thing that needs to happen is that rapture of the church. Then the Antichrist, the false prophet, can bring in their economic system. Uh, there will be a one-world government, a one-world military. People will say, who's like the beast and who's able to make war with him? Three and a half years, you're going to have peace and prosperity. The other thing that we see is, and boy, you see it every day online on Twitter, I, I know for sure. Twitter's kind of a tough neighborhood to hang out with as far as exchanges go is that you see over and over again people saying these Christians, they're the problem. Mm -hmm. These evangelical Christians. It's like Glenn, Glendale, Arizona, the largest school district in the state, decided, well, we don't want to take any student teachers from that Christian college. Yeah, Arizona Christian align, University, yeah. They don't align with our values. Yeah, or, or you know, even someone like Jane Fonda last week uh, talking about uh, pro-life individuals and pro-life politicians, and they said, "Well, what can be done? Protesting and 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 you know politics." And she said, "Murder. I'm in favor of murder." And people said, "Oh, she was just joking." But you watch the video, and when Joy Behar tried to jump in and say, "Oh, she was just kidding. She's just kidding," the look that she gave Joy Behar, man, it would have melted lead. Oh, she wasn't laughing or that. smirking or anything else. And there are people out there that really do believe Christians are the problem. And if you go beyond the friendly confines of the United States out there to this world, you want to find Christians being persecuted, you will find Christians being persecuted for no other reason than they belong to Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing yeah. a lot of the pieces of the puzzle come together. And here's the good news. In Luke 21, Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up. Hmm. for your salvation draws near. It doesn't say look down. Hmm. doesn't say, you know, run in circles, scream and shout. It says, <laughs> look up. Uh, you know, we have the blessed hope that Jesus could come for us at any time. And the more we see these pieces of the puzzle coming together, the more we begin to understand what, what the, the clear message of Scripture, Jesus saying, you know, don't let that day catch you unawares. Hmm. Don't be asleep at the switch. First Thessalonians chapter 5 
you know, we're of the light, we are the day, we are not of night nor of darkness, so these things will uh, come upon us like a thief. Uh, we know what to look for, and I think the more we look at these signs going on in our day and age, mm -hmm. the more we see the Bible is way ahead of this. God, who sees beyond time, sees how all these things are going to come together. And uh, boy, you know, the, as Joel Rosenberg always says, uh, if you're planning a major sin within your life right now, I definitely put it off <laughs> uh, because uh, the Lord could come at any minute. Now, I know there are some out there, maybe you're non Christian listening to this or, you know, kind of undecided. You go, oh, they've been saying that for thousands of years. Uh, Jesus hasn't come. Well, I would encourage you read through first Peter chapter three, because when you say that you're literally fulfilling a prophecy, mm -hmm. uh, there would be mockers who would come in the last days mm -hmm. saying, where's the promise of his coming? Uh, I mentioned the historic things that took place since the end of world war two. Yeah. That well, Israel being back <laughs> in the land itself is, is a very, unsubtle sign of the times uh we we haven't seen that since 1948 they've literally been out of the land in any way shape or form for over mm -hmm. 1700 years prior to that time so we're definitely getting these heavenly heads up but what if jesus doesn't come back for 200 years possible no man knows the day or the hour mm -hmm. and if anybody tells you they know the day or the hour uh, they're saying something that Jesus never said. They try to get around this and say, well, but it's blood moons or, or, well, you know, if you divide the number of consonants in the old Testament by whether Adam had his belly button in my new book, you can find, you know, as soon as somebody date sets, um, you can pretty much know that their ministry is not something mm -hmm. you should look at as a so source of solid drive, biblical truth. Drive right on by yeah, past keep, that billboard. <laughs> just keep rolling. But what if he doesn't return for 200 years? Well, the, the, the caveat I always like to leave with people is this. You know, I mean, I had my Beatles birthday this year. You know, will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Man, I can remember a time when I'd hear somebody dying in their 50s. And, oh, well, at least they had a good long life. I'm like, oh, they're so young, you know. But uh, you know, say uh, I lived another 30 years. So I lived to be 94. That's a pretty good run, right? Uh, I saw uh, William Shatner, Captain Kirk, uh, created some waves by saying that he felt like his death was imminent, not because he's ill or anything like that, but because he's in his 90s. And uh, the, the hopelessness of this man uh, is really stunning when you read his takes on life and uh, you know how all of his awards and everything else said, oh, there's all kinds of tombstones that have been turned over. There, there's all kinds of people have been forgotten. Great actors, nobody even knows who they are anymore. You know what? What good is it? Well, without Christ, it is no good. He's you not, know, and, he's not wrong. <laughs> you know, and in the evolutionary worldview, uh, inevitably, no matter how Star Trekian yeah. and United Federation of Planets and <clears throat> perfectibility of man you want to throw this into, it eventually leads you to that place of despair. Mm -hmm. because it can't guarantee you life beyond the grave. Uh, the, the, the bottom line is this. If I live to be 94, right? Good, good haul, right? That means one of two things are going to happen in the next 30 years for me. Either Jesus is coming back for me at, a time, at the event called the rapture, and I'm going to see him face to face. And I believe that's imminent. I, I believe he's at the doors. It could happen at any time. But say he delays it 200 years. Well, within 30 years, either he's coming back for me or I'm going to him through the valley of the shadow of death. But either way, I'm going to end up in the same place. Mm -hmm. So I might as well live like it. I might as well remember that Jesus made this astounding promise. He says, because I live, you will live also. And anyone who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, mm -hmm. his sinless life, 
his death on the cross for our sins, and his resurrection from the dead. If anyone will confess that Jesus is Lord, uh, he'll be saved. Mm. Uh, you know, it's, it is just that simple. It's just that simple as putting your faith, your trust in Jesus. That's what we call being born again, asking God to forgive our sins and come into our hearts and make us a brand new person. And when we do that, well, then suddenly the whole, uh, the, the, the whole perspective of life absolutely changes. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, okay, SVB Bank goes bankrupt. Jesus said, you know, don't put your faith in worldly treasures where, you know, moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. Where your heart is, there your treasure is also. You know, if I know God is going to meet my needs, uh, and, and he promised to meet my needs according to his riches and glory, I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. You know, in fact, worrying, Jesus strongly counseled against it. He's going to meet my needs in the here and now. Mm-hmm. But even more importantly, he's going to meet my needs in the hereafter. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I can know we can make a soft landing in heaven after this life because of what Jesus has done for us. And if you're out there and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you've never invited him into your heart. The Bible says, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you're out there and you have never made that decision, can I lead you in a prayer? Maybe the Lord is really tugging on your heart. Maybe for the first time you're saying, well, I, I kind of understand why I tune into this broadcast every day. Uh, it's not happenstance. It's not accident. God is working on your life. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. So if you're experiencing that, it's the Lord's way of saying it's time to come home, time to invite me into your life, time to receive forgiveness of sins. And you can do so by simply asking the Lord to do that, making a decision that I'm going to put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you have to join a church. It doesn't mean you have to clean up your act. It doesn't mean you have to quit drinking, smoking, and chewing and going with girls who are doing. Uh, God will take care of all of that. The first thing he wants to do is he wants to make you a brand new person. The minute you receive Jesus as your Savior, God promises to forgive your sins, past, present, and future. He promises to come and indwell your heart through his Holy Spirit, making you a brand new creation in Christ. And he promises to begin a process where he changes us from the inside out so we become like Jesus more and more in our character, loving like Jesus did, living like Jesus did. And I'll tell you, it's such an exciting adventure. It is too good to miss. So if you've never made that decision, uh, just take a moment and pray with me. It's not the words of the prayer that matter. It's the attitude of your heart. But if you're like, well, I just don't even know what to say, just just pray this along with me. Uh, and those of you who are out there who are believers in Christ, just pray for those who are out there that uh, might be making this decision right now. Lord, I know I need you in my life. I know I've sinned. I'm not the person you created me to be. But I do believe that Jesus died for me. And I do believe that he rose from the dead so that I could have life. Lord, I believe you're the true and living God. I believe in your son. And right now, I want to become part of your forever family. Please come into my heart. Make me a brand new person. Forgive my sins. I give my heart to you because I believe you gave your life for me, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, Mm. amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer in the sincerity of your heart, welcome to the family of God. And, and you know, if you go to our website at, at uh, calvarychristianfellowship.com, uh, 
you can find a, a copy of some steps to growth as a new believer. Uh, if you'd like to receive that in uh, booklet form, get in contact with us. Contact us at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Give us your contact information. We'll be happy to send those things along to you and help you get going and growing your walk with, with Christ. No salesman's going to call. There's no obligation. We're not charging you for any of this, uh, these materials. We just want you to get off on the right foot in your walk with God. So if you're in the greater Tucson area, come by Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson uh, during our office hours, either our Wednesday night study or Sunday morning uh, groups that we have here, or during office hours, come to our office and we'll be happy uh, to get you that New Believers uh, Survival Packet. And uh, this Sunday, uh, if you have never made a public declaration of your faith in Jesus through uh, water baptism, if you prayed and received Christ here today, greater Tucson area, Come on out. You can do that, and uh, it's going to be a great, great step. Publicly declaring your allegiance that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus uh, to, to this world. You've died with him as your Lord under the waters of baptism, raised to newness of life. Mm. So we'd love to be able to offer you all of those resources to get going in your walk with God. Well, thank you, Pastor Scott. What so, would you say to those? There's a lot of kids who grew up uh, in the 90s, were raised in Christian homes, uh, even you know millennials who are deconstructing their faith, as they say, they're being influenced by progressive Christianity, and then they're going through this deconstruction process and walking away. Um, <clears throat> when they hear someone share the gospel, in their minds they're probably thinking, oh, I've heard all this before, I walked away. How would you challenge someone who has been there, done that, but um, has had their minds sort of misled by some of these uh, more progressive ideas? How, how do you encourage someone who is kind of been raised in the church, but then abandoned yeah. later on. Well, ab- or abandoning their faith. Correct, in, in yeah. Sense. Yeah, well, the the thing that I would say is this. There's two really encouraging uh, stories that Jesus told that can give us perspective on this. One's kind of challenging. Uh, the, the first is what we call the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils. Uh, this is found in Matthew chapter 13. It was the first parable that Jesus taught and was so important that he went out of his way to teach his disciples exactly what it meant. And, and paraphrasing here, you know, he talked about a sower going out and sowing seed, and some of the seed fell on the hardened path. Uh, the birds of the air came by and ate the seed, and it didn't spring up at all. Uh, the other kinds of seed fell in shallow soil, and it immediately sprung up, but because it had no root to it, uh, as soon as the sun beat down on it and uh, it and it lacked water, uh, it uh, faded away because it had no root to it. Uh, then there was seed that fell in seemingly good soil, but it was contaminated with weeds, uh, and the weeds and the good soil grew up together, and the weeds choked out the the good seed and made it unfruitful. And then finally, there was seed that fell on the good soil, and it produced a crop 30, 60, or 100-fold of what was planted. Well, what Jesus was talking about there is really easy to understand because he identified this. The seed is God's word. The soil are men's hearts. Uh, different people are going to receive that uh, seed in a different way, depending upon the condition of their hearts. Some people are just hardened. They just turn away. They don't, they don't respond at all. Uh, Jesus said that Satan comes and takes away the seed, and uh, they never come to know God. Mm-hmm. Others are like the shallow soil in that they immediately receive the word with joy, but because they have no root, when persecution or the desire for other things comes around, uh, they fade away and uh, produce no fruit. Then there are the ones that are in the contaminated soil. 
and the desire for other things, the, uh, the lusts of this world and so on, uh, mean more to them than, uh, than that. And, you know, they, they end up being unfruitful. But then there's the good soil that produces a, a crop 30, 60, or 100-fold. Back then, if you were sowing seed and you got a 20% return on your crop, that was considered outstanding. Well, what God was saying is, is the person who hears God's word, receives that seed, is going to produce a crop. Now, what does that say to the person who maybe had a profession of faith uh, in Christ but walked away from it all? Well, maybe you were shallow soil. Maybe you were the contaminated soil. Maybe you're just the hardened soil. Uh, it really comes down to it. But you don't always have to be that way. You know, here's the exciting thing. Uh, there's a wonderful passage in the book of Hosea that says, break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes for us. Uh, you don't have to be that same kind of superficial seed or contaminated seed or hardened seed. So it's not uh, a soil. fatalistic yeah. look at it. <laughs> uh, you know, and when, when, you know, Adrian, when you think about your life, when I think about my life coming to know the Lord, uh, there's times where I think, you know, I know for sure I was the hard soil because mm -hmm. I used to mock Christians who'd share with me. And, uh, you know, there were times uh, where, you know, again, other issues in life and things like that uh, became, you know, uh, I, I guess so uh, a part of my life that it was unfruitful. But God continued to work. And as God continues to work, sooner or later you start to get it. You start to understand who Jesus is and how wonderful it is to know him. And that kind of life can't be kept to yourself. So I would say to that person who's had that kind of background, well, don't trust in your background. You know, don't say, well, I've heard all that before. Or, you know, I made a decision when I was a kid. Or, or you know, <clears throat> well, what kind of a decision was it? Uh, you know, what kind of soil are you? You know, maybe the best thing to do is if you're doubtful about all of that, just say, God, I want to be made new soil. I want to receive your word. I want to become a brand new person. I don't want to live my life in doubt, uh, not knowing what's going to come uh, to me after I leave this life. I want to know you, and God will do that. The other uh, the parable that Jesus taught that I think is so cool is the story of the prodigal son. Mm. You know, how, you know, everybody knows the story. You know, this guy <clears throat> comes to his father and says, I don't want to wait till you die. Divide the inheritance with me. So uh, he takes the inheritance and he runs off the far country and he blows everything he has on riotous living. Uh, and then a famine hits the land. His money runs out. Uh, his good time Charlie's and Charlene's that he was hanging with abandon him. Uh, he hires himself out to a guy in the land to feed pigs. And if you're a Jewish person, that was like the lowest of the lowest mm -hmm. of the low. And even the pig slop started looking good to him because he was so hungry. But then he comes to his senses and he goes, wait a minute, my father's house, even the hired servants have food to eat. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll say, father, I've sinned against heaven and earth and against you. Uh, take me back as one of your hired servants. So he started to come back. And we we're told well, he was a long way off. The father saw him coming. Well, that tells me the father has been looking for him for a while. He hasn't given up on him. Mm. And uh, we're told that the father ran down the road to meet him. We're not telling this guy ran to the father. The father ran to him. And he starts into his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he can even be asked to be taken back as a hired servant, the father falls on him, embraces him, and says, you know, again, the son of mine who was lost is found. He is dead, but behold, he's alive. You know, kill the fatted calf. You know, give him a new robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. 
the restoration was complete and total. And, you know, I would say if maybe in the back of your mind, you're like, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know uh, how bad I've blown it. Um, maybe I don't, but God does. And he loves you. Is there any sin in your life, honestly, that you could say is so great uh, that Jesus' death on the cross can't pay the price for that? And he's willing to accept you, not on the basis of what you've done for him, but on the basis of his amazing grace, his unmerited favor. So turn back to him, and, and boy, you know, that restoration that that son had was uh, incredible. So th- those would be the two things I'd, I'd really emphasize to someone in that situation. Thanks. What's that <clears throat> passage? I was trying to look it up where he says, uh, "Not every every child always undergoes discipline." It's Romans twelve, I believe, or my uh, yeah, Hebrews I'm chapter sorry, twelve. Hebrews twelve. Yeah, where he talks about how uh, God disciplines those He loves. Right. And when we go through those crisis of faith moments, a lot of times it could be even if it takes decades, where God is putting you through a disciplinary process because He regards you as a son, just like you described in the prodigal son that the son of mine was gone, lost, and now he is found, the yeah. son of mine, yeah. meaning he never discounted him as a son, but um, just like the writer of Hebrews warns that you know God disciplines those he loves, and we all undergo discipline, otherwise you're an illegitimate child. <laughs> yeah, I, I love how that's rendered in uh, Proverbs chapter 3, hmm. where it says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor let your heart detest his correction. Hmm. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, even as a father, the son in whom his heart delights. Mm. I, I love that picture. And uh, it, it reminds me of a public service ad I saw about vaping. <laughs> uh, believe it or not, it talked about how the effect of vaping is when you vape, you instantaneously get like a, a hit of like caffeine on steroids. Mm. You immediately <clears throat> feel good. But then immediately after that, it wears off and you start to feel irritable and all the rotten, tough stuff in your life just begins to magnify itself. You know, I think there's a lot of vaping uh, prodigals out mm-hmm. there, not because they're yeah. you know sucking right. on some e-cigarette, but they left their walk with God because they thought, oh, you know, this relationship or, oh, this lifestyle or, oh, this financial possibility or these sort of things. They look so good to them. But you talk to people who went down that path and left that behind, and boy, at the end of their lives, it's mm. tough. Mm. These people are in despair. And, and you know, it's almost like you got that momentary high that drew you in, mm-hmm. but then life is just irritating after that. Mm. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, he hasn't come to ruin our lives. He's come to yeah. fulfill our lives. Quite the opposite yeah. of spiritual vaping. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> there, there's some spiritual vapors out there, I mm. think. Well, uh, Ezekiel, we have a couple minutes we can draw. Uh, We've got a couple questions here. Ezekiel wants to know, did God conceal certain scientific information until we are ready for it? In other words, uh, why doesn't the Bible contain more scientific truths? He mentions uh, um, <clears throat> like the knowledge about atoms during Bible times. Now we know some of these things, um, and are, with same with scientific discoveries cure for cancer. Could it be that the Apostle Paul uh, didn't know if the Earth was flat or round, things like that? So how do you um, how do you see God knowing everything, and yet revealing and inspiring the authors of Scripture, and yet not having the cure for cancer? You know in the pages of scripture <laughs> things well, like that. Well, we have to understand there's something greater than the cure for cancer, and that's the cure for everlasting separation from God. Mm-hmm. You know, as a cancer survivor, I can tell you I'm 
absolutely indebted to the Mayo Clinic for the treatment that they mm. gave to me, uh, the prognosis they had for the next five years of my life. If they hadn't gotten to the cancer when they did, were grim indeed. You know, the last year just totally uh, racked with pain that even morphine or anything else can't touch. Uh, but they they intervene, and so I'm very grateful to be delivered from that. But the Bible isn't a, a medical book. What is it about? It's about something deeper. It, it, it's about why we need medicine in the first place. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that when God created the heavens and the earth, it was all very good. There was no sickness or disease or things like that. But man's sin brought that in, and God provided the ultimate cure by becoming a man, dying on a cruel Roman cross, rising from the dead in a moment of history so that we can have our sins paid for. God can be just, and yet he can be loving because he offers us a relationship with him that'll last forever. Hmm. So I guess the question we got to ask ourselves uh, is this, you know, well, why aren't these things in the Bible? Here's the best answer I can give you. Uh, In John chapter 21 and verse 25, we're told there are also many other things that Jesus did, which were written one by one. I suppose even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You know, in other words, not everything even spiritually is contained in the pages of the Bible. I know this looks like a, a thick book, but for its subject matter, it's not very long at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, the instructions about how to receive eternal life, how to be reconciled with God, what that means, how to live in light of all that, pretty significant stuff right here. Uh, but, you know, when God inspired his word, understand this, he knew that people who gave their lives to Christ and say had a medical background, would want to use that compassion to reach out to other people. Well, thank you so much for that, Scott. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be here at the same place, same time tomorrow. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.